Welcome to the Spiro Hangout, where we talk all things spearfishing, freediving, and foraging. We're three guys from Devon in the UK who are excited to share some of the learnings from our spearfishing journey with you over the coming episodes. We bring in some special guests along the way to help spread some in-depth Spiro knowledge from some of the most experienced people in the scene. Hey boys, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Hello. <laughs> so we are now down at Start Point Spearfishing. How have you been? Yeah, good. Starting to get over my sickness, so I'm good. Very good. Nothing to report apart from a drive back from Glasgow. And how did Budley go? Yeah, really well. Um, Daniel Mann was last. Um, he didn't catch anything. Um, and we were trying to move location to Meadfoot, but he just doesn't listen. Bless him. <laughs> but no, um, Budley was cancelled. Uh, due to yeah, safety reasons, there was two metre swell, um, not great conditions, visibility was even worse. So, yeah, not good. How about you guys? What have you been up to? Yeah, well, in a way, I'm kind of glad because I wasn't going to be able to make the back update anyway. So, looking forward to the date I can make. I've been away to Austria. Not much sea there, but very good viz. Videos look cool. Yeah, really, really cool place. Yeah, and obviously everyone who's watching us on YouTube now awkwardly because we're passing this mic around to each other. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're at the Start Point shop today because we're having a Start Point open day, all in aid of raising funds for Team GB. So, uh, yeah, we had some awesome pilots so far, loads of people about, and uh, yeah, seems like a good day. Yeah, so the plan today is we're going to pull some people out of the crowd, maybe take some questions. All some celebrities out. We've got a few here, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. JPK, Daniel Mann, Davo, Barkley, Dave. There's there's quite a few people here. Awesome. Right. We're gonna go and drag someone up, and uh, yeah, we'll be back in a minute. And welcome back. So we've got Mr. Daniel Mann. Hello. How are you? Tip top. Good. So we're going to ask you a few questions before we then get everybody upstairs, um, do a bit more of a Q&A. But uh, talk to us about Budley, because, yeah, you you wanted it cancelled for two two events on the trot, and then we were trying to move it to Meadfoot, and you were just dead against it. <laughs> but you went out on the first, the first cancellation two weeks ago. Um, talk to us about how Budley went for you. I was taking Budley quite seriously, trying to do some due diligence. Um, I've, I've never done a lot of methodical scouting for spearfishing, but this time I thought I would, you know, I've got the time being a freelancer now this year, so I thought I would go down and do my homework. Uh, I went down and scouted two weeks before the competition, did about five and a half kilometres of swimming, found some really great spots. I think I was out there for pretty much the duration of the competition, so about five and a half hours. Uh, drove down from London, dived, drove back. Um, just trying to be dedicated and you know, give myself whatever advantage I can by, by scouting. And then the day of the competition that it was first scheduled for, uh, I did lobby for it to be on. I thought it would be fine. Uh, I was down there anyway, and it was fine. Uh, but the forecast, to be fair, didn't look great on the Thursday in, in you know the essence of giving people as much notice as possible. It got canned, but as we know, the weather this summer has been really unpredictable and it changed for the better. Uh, when I was out there, it got a bit lumpy, and the Coast Guard was on the um, on the shoreline waiting for me, and said, "Are you all right? Um, you know, we got lots of reports of you being out there and swimmers not being happy, or that they were concerned for my welfare." They asked if I logged on with the Coast Guard, and I said, "No, because I don't have a boat." Does does every swimmer have to um, you know log on with the Coast Guard when they go swimming in the UK now? I mean. Yeah, so that was uh, interesting. But it was a really, really nice spot. I really liked the venue. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the diving in Lime Bay. And I expected it to be more classic Devon with big boulders and kelp forests. And it's not really like that at all. So I, I think it's a really cool venue. And hope they can hold a competition there in, in the future next year or something. Um, so yeah, I really like it. It was good. Yeah, we, we were talking um, on the way up in the car, weren't we, Rich, who's behind the camera? Oh, he was behind the camera. I don't know where he's gone now. About different comp formats. And the, I guess the problem we've got at the moment is where we are on the coast, it's pretty dicey as to whether we're going to get viz, whether we're going to get so much swell that we can't get the divers in the water. And at the end of the day, you've got to pick a, a, a safe location, right? 
is there like um, a different kind of format that would allow that kind of picking of a safe location on the same day you know so everybody knows that at least this is the competition day we talked about perhaps having like a, a number of different locations that you could go to and you make the call like the day before but how do other countries do this Dan because I know you've got a bit of experience in this area uh, what I would say about having say three locations I mean the, the UK is quite a long stretch of coastline I mean we've had national competitions in Scotland before up in Redcar I mean, to, for a lot of people, you know, if, if you're traveling up from Devon to Scotland, you need to know 48 hours ahead of time. And I guess the, the concept of having these backup dates, which I believe the backup date, you can hold it anywhere that you'd like to get the weather. So I think, I think having it's important for the people that want to scout these areas and, you know, a, attempt to do well at them to be able to have a consistent location and say, this is where we're, we're going to dive. And, and maybe there could be backup zones etc say if we you know did this one again and said cool you know our, we're going to have zone one or two maybe maybe zone one is budley zone two's meadfoot and i, I don't know and just say you know we'll, we'll pick the best option on the day because the, these world championships uh, that we're uh, coming up to there's three zones there's two days of competition and they will pick you know obviously their, their first two zones choice and they've got a, a backup zone and so you know if the weather's adverse they will go to the other one so you have to scout three zones but um at least it's it's consistent but whereas i think there was chat um you know let's just move it to um i don't know down into uh talon bay which is cornwall and for me that's a five and a half six hour drive and so that's not something i can well i could do it on the morning uh but i'll be i'd be up at 2 a.m to get there for the competition so um i think the format um maybe we could definitely tweak it to have you know t d different zones but yeah i think in the instance of you know, giving people the opportunity to scout these areas and do do as well as they'd like to which is i guess ultimately leading a lot of the the format of the uk competitions is to prepare someone for a european or, or world championship because that's kind of the the format that they they follow a little bit sorry i was just i was just going to say on 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 changing the format of competitions what we can't do is have a knee-jerk reaction to something that over a period of two weeks we've been rained out because of that it's been working very very well for years um and it just so happened that the one place that we wanted to pick for a really really good competition and a really good dive which i still think it will be just got rained out or blown out for two weeks on the trot even though that as dan said the first one really could have gone ahead um you know without any struggle but we've only we can only do with what we have to hand which is yeah you know weather forecasts from the met office um you know all these different websites and we do everything we possibly can to make sure an event can go forward um so much so that this last weekend yesterday which should have gone ahead at budley um but couldn't we left until friday afternoon to go and check the viz and it seems like oh well they made the decision really last minute and oh, they didn't give us much notice but there's a reason for that is because we're trying to get the visibility report that is going to be closest yeah yeah so in terms of having multiple locations i i think it's something we can definitely look at but like dan's saying it's if, if it's something that's going to be decided on the day then it can't be 80 miles away it's 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 got to be something that people have one had plenty of time to be able to scout if there are competitors that are coming from the likes of you know if we're going to scotland or scotland's coming to us they need enough time to be able to book accommodation um so really for for that kind of thing if we're going to do an event where it has two possible locations they've got to be within say 45 minutes of each other um and you know it, obviously on the same day same times on the day we can change the times so if it was say there was discussion about moving from 10 till 4 which was the competition for six hours to 9 till 3 unfortunately yesterday it wouldn't have made much difference anyway for an hour but sometimes if the tide versus wind is right pulling it forward a couple of hours can help um, there's also been talk about shortening the time of the competition from six hours to four hours um, but again this is all things that it's been knee-jerk reaction to a competition that's been cancelled twice in a row in two weeks. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, exactly, exactly, and it's it's just unfortunate. This year has just been god awful for weather and for diving. Um, you know, but there are lots of people out there that are more fair weather divers and are happier to cancel 
than uh, than you and me. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, but there's uh, we, we're you know the BSA and its competitions are trying to lead into, as Dan was saying, lead into the worlds and CMAS. So we've got to try and keep it in a specific way that is preparing people or getting them used to what a CMAS event is going to be. Um, so maybe, and Ben was talking earlier on uh, with a few of us about having maybe a, a club level competition that may feed into a yearly competition for CMAS. Um, so you've got, say, the top five from each club that then go on to a weekend event um, in the BSA. There's lots of talk that can be had. Um, but yeah, yeah. There is actually a Clubs World Cup um, that CMAS are doing in uh, Rio, I think, next year um, in Brazil. So, ob so obviously, LIC would be the number one club because we're the best. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's been an interesting um, couple of weeks to, to try and get the comp off. But at the end of the day, as I think everyone has resolved, no one has got injured through you know, adverse conditions. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, the competition has been cancelled twice. It sucks, but everybody's safe and, you know, no one's got hurt. So I think ultimately that's that's quite good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. And I guess we're here today in support of the next round of the Worlds, right? That's in Spain coming up. When's that done? 7th to the 11th of September. Great stuff. And, and can we watch that on TV or anything like that? Uh, Apnea Passion on Facebook will be covering it live so they have all the the weigh-ins and everything and, and boat stuff all on facebook live awesome that sounds great so yeah we're, we're here at start point spearfishing today in support of the team they're raising money it costs a lot of money to get out to spain a, few beans. a fair few beans to get there yeah and I, I guess um some of the listeners might be interested to learn a little bit more about like the format how it works and why it's important to have team gb yep for sure i mean for for people that don't understand the world spearfishing championship is the uh highest level of competition that can go in uh for spearfishing and you know lots of people have different views on on competitive spearfishing uh but i don't think anyone can really deny that the caliber of divers there is the highest it's ever going to be and the thing about the world, I guess, traditionally, um, before the internet era, um, people only really found out about new gear and techniques by going to these events and rubbing shoulders with people in different parts of the world. And uh, the, the techniques and, and things that you learn there, I guess, um, tend to get filtered down, I guess, back through the, the country's club level and that sort of stuff. So traditionally going to, you know, Europe from Australia for uh, you know in the in the 90s was going to be mind-blowing for people that see all this different equipment that they didn't know the various hunting techniques that now filters down and it's really beneficial to the community to understand how things are done in different parts of the world uh, which is is really cool obviously it's a bit easier to do that now with the the rise of the internet and that sort of thing but I think um, just the experiences of being around people that are better than you is really good. I mean, like a rising tide lifts all ships. And so when you surround yourself with um, these divers, I think it really, uh, it just elevates your own spearfishing. And whether you're not agree, agree or not with you know competitive spearfishing, that's, that's totally fine. But you can't really deny the fact that you know, if you've got an opportunity to go diving um, alongside some of the best in the world, um, you know, you're going to learn something and it's going to filter down through the clubs. And I, I know, you know, from the likes in my club, uh, we've got, you know, really phenomenal divers, Kevin Daly, Ross Gilfillan, Gary Roche, David Callahan, all these guys that have attended multiple um, of these events, European championships and, and world championships. And every time you go diving with those guys, you learn something, you go, oh, I don't do that. Why do they do that that I don't do? And, um, you know, they've obviously got all that experience from going to these international competitions putting themselves out there and um yeah it's really cool to um you know go to these things and, and and see how it's done in different parts of the world i guess it's a bit like cuisine you know you, we think we have great cuisine here in this lovely country you know beans on toast it's only when you go go to france you realize that oh maybe i could cook things better or do something a little bit different so i think the spearfishing world's a lot like that you know you go traveling and you you see different people in action and you learn a lot and that and that filters down through and and i guess you guys have been the, the product of uh, people like that that have gone and done these things before and you've benefited from it yeah yeah and it's so true it's the chance for us to talk to people who've been to those events have been to different countries spearfish in different countries and actually you know it's inspired us to go spearfish in different countries and i learned a hell of a lot in australia like the the different 
I mean, I only did it one day, right? And even in that one day, just looking at the equipment they used, the different techniques they used, the different conditions they spearfished in, different depths, different terrain, like in, incredible. And, and the chance to do that in a World Series where you're going to different places across, you know, different years, I, I just think that's uh, an incredible experience. And like you say, a great opportunity to come back and share it with us, to share it with your club, to share it with, you know, your community. It's awesome. Exactly right. It's like opening Pandora's box when you go to Australia, isn't it, from the UK uh, on, on the spearfishing front. Uh, so, yeah, we're... Uh, very stoked that there's a, a great turnout here to to raise some funds. I mean, the just the sign-on fees I think are probably in the vicinity of you know seven or eight hundred euros per competitor. Uh, renting a boat out there for scouting is you know circa 150 euros a, a day sort of thing just for the boat. Fuel's probably two quid a litre, uh, so it does the costs do add up. So um, it's just trying to you know alleviate that and and maybe make it more accessible for people that you know may not be able to afford. Uh, on a personal level to go to these competitions and I'm, I'm trying as the as the gb manager i'm trying to maybe foster a you know it's only first time i've ever done it but trying to foster a, an environment where we go hey cool you know if somebody can't afford to go but they're actually you know the best diver for it maybe we can you know actually send you know the best team for it not necessarily people that you know either have leave or or, or money behind them because it does um you know cost a bit uh personally uh obviously you gain a lot as well but you know the you can't really deny that um you know there's pounds and pence involved in, in the process so i think the cost to each competitor is probably going to be you know three three thousand pounds at least or maybe dave is wincing at that don't add it up dave we saw there's been a lot of pay sold today so um it might be two thousand nine hundred and ninety five pounds now so uh anyway well we just try i mean Speaking to some people from the Italian teams or the Spanish teams, you know, they, they get paid to go to these competitions um, or, you know, nothing that doesn't cost them anything personally to go for a month beforehand and scout. And, and that's just the support of, um, you know, their federations and that. You know, obviously the UK is a much smaller place than a lot of these countries, but it's also inspiring to see, uh, you know, what the potential is. I mean, imagine if I think we would have a, a much fiercer competitive scene in the UK if you had the potential of going cool world championships in chile next year for i don't know if it is but say let's go to let's go somewhere cool chile um you could get your entire trip paid for and it wouldn't cost you anything um to, to go there i'd be showing up to comps i'd be doing more homework it would elevate the entire um i guess spearfishing community a little bit to in in how they they do things so i think that's a that's a pretty cool thing um and that's where i'm I'm trying to make a, a dent on the on, on that sort of situation, but you know, yeah, I think it would really um, it bring out a, a lot of better divers in the country um, if if things were financially um, subsidised. And you know, I guess it's like almost winning a not not a holiday, but you know, like imagine going cool. If I do well at this competition, I can potentially go to the other side of the world and go experience something cool, and it's paid for. Hundred percent. Couldn't agree more with what you said. Um, I think, again, like I'll touch on what you said about the size of spearfishing in the UK. It's still a very small sport in comparison to what it is across the waters, um, and that's why you know their federations and their their governing bodies um, or associations have the money to be able to support their spearos because they've got you know ten times the membership. I think if the BSA does grow, um, then you know during the RAGMs we'll be able to hopefully put more support in. Um, and like we have this year with Daniel taking on uh, Team GB manager, it's um, yeah having having a go and, and and just raising those extra funds with things like these events. Um, you know, raising funds for a good cause um, because those spearers aren't yeah you know they're they're doing it for the love of the sport, but they're also representing the UK um, in spearfishing in in a world platform. So we've got to support them, um, and we'll do everything we can, and hopefully we'll build on it more and more. As years go on, so yeah. Uh, Nick, any other questions? Oh, we haven't mentioned who the divers are. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll hand over to Dan, and he can tell you who the Team GB is. For this year, myself as manager, I will not be diving unless something goes seriously wrong with some competitors. Are you going? I I am going. Yeah, I'm dri I'm driving out there um, uh, with Han on. 31st or something like that. Dri driving down through France and then getting there and. Um, 
yeah, hopefully get out some scouting days with the with the team. Uh, sadly, our our female contingent uh, this year um, she couldn't um, couldn't make it in the end. Uh, she did a, a stellar job at the World Freshwater Championship, so you know that was all self-funded, which is. A, Apparently, she told me, Fina told me that America is a surprisingly expensive place, um, you know, when you go with the family. So, you know, she's only got, everyone's, you know, got full-time jobs and they've only got a certain amount of leave. So she um, she couldn't uh, make it, sadly. But uh, Fina's great. She's a, a real competitor. I dived with her in, in Finland last year. Um, and, you know, I would have her on the team any day of the week. Uh, this year, I've got the current uh, British champion, Dave Stevens, who's on the, on the trot for two in a row. We have, I think, six or seven-time British champion Kev Daly, uh, who is a phenomenal diver, really great guy, very humble, um, but extremely technical. Love diving with Kevin. I always learn something and always feel bad about myself at the end of the dive, going, oh, I'm not, I'm just not there yet. And we've got Dave O'Callaghan, who has been to, you know, more more of these events than I could even remember. He's been spearfishing than longer than probably all of us have been alive, to be honest, which is which is really cool. And our reserve diver is one times British champion Ross Gilfillan. He is an absolute beast in the water. He's just uh, it's just a juggernaut. He just he just doesn't stop, uh, and he he just swims and swims and swims, and he, he gives everything. And I really love Ross. Um, phenomenal diver as well. So if um, you know something goes wrong with you know the the first three starters um you know ross might have to jump in and if something goes wrong with ross as well i mean i'm there so i'm but i i, I don't anticipate there'll be too much wrong with our um with our selection so yeah really really strong team and yeah i think this particular type of diving in northern spain suits us a little bit better than the mediterranean so familiar species familiar terrain sort of familiar so should be good Awesome. I think there's uh, one more question, uh, which is a bit of a listener's question for you specifically. Um, probably going on your most recent video of Budley, which was an awesome video. Um, I don't know how you fish though. The waves were horrendous. We had to cancel the comp. It was really, really bad. Sorry. It was not amazing. Right? <laughs> I think it was really, really good um, visibility for fishing, to be honest. I, I, did, I did look at it at the start and I thought, the only reason I'm going in right now is because because I've, I've spent 400 quid on an Airbnb for the weekend and I, you know, I'd like to go in and maybe get a lobster for my wife, which I didn't get. Um, so she was bitterly disappointed, as usual, uh, with my lack of crustaceans. I'm just not good at lobsters. Uh, fine for scallops, but crabs and lobsters, I'm, she's just always disappointed with my efforts because they're poor <laughs> so maybe i need to do one of these lobstering courses or get a lobstering hook here at start point spearfishing actually that would have been really handy because i did see some lobsters but couldn't get them anyway point being um yes puddly uh, i wouldn't have gone out unless i was already there but you know dive everywhere right <laughs> that's it and I, I think on those on those courses sam seeley does a really good course i went on it with him at the beginning of this season um, and really, really good. Loads of information on how to get, how to look for lobsters, and what you need to do is just stop looking for fish, <laughs> which you <laughs> struggle to do. Um, so, sorry, the question was um, from that video: your satnav and GPS that you've got on your float. Can you tell us a bit about that? What that is? Maybe some model numbers and stuff on how people can get hold of one. So I think most people in the UK these days have Navionics on their phone, which is all well and good, but the phone battery doesn't really last that long. So there is the the issue of you know taking your phone, and also you get a your phone's like what seven to fifteen hundred quid, depending on what you're getting, and it's it's a bit risky to just tow around on a float. So I've I've done what um, most people do and when they see someone else with a good idea they emulate that which is in this case Kevin Daly and he has a Garmin uh, GPS it's a very basic GPS doesn't have any charts on it. it's just got dots and um, you know a little track you can see where you've been but you can cross-reference from your Navionics and get the GPS mark and then punch it in onto your handheld GPS which I think mine was like a hundred and well I got it for a Christmas present but I think it's about um, a hundred, hundred and hundred quid, hundred and twenty quid, or something like that. And I keep it in a waterproof little case uh, that you get off Amazon for your phone. And so you don't have a chart, but you can 
put marks in from your navionics and look on the relief shade and go, cool, I want to hit this particular spot and you can name it. And then the challenge is obviously remembering it all. Um, but I went to the effort, uh, probably revealing too much of my uh, strategy here, but I went to the effort of actually screenshotting all the relief shading zoomed in, putting it into Photoshop and then putting my mark labels on it so they corresponded to what's on my GPS. So then I laminated an A4 sheet of the, the chart because it's it's handy to know if you're swimming in the right direction of a reef because obviously you can't you know you don't you don't want to map out the whole reef with a million marks you still want to be able to see it but you want to know cool if i swim this way or if the tide's going here am i going to get dragged here will there be can i drift through here to see some stuff so i i printed out the map for budley as well so i've got a, a an a4 sheet that you may sneakily be able to see in in the video that i've got tucked in my in my bag, which is actually the, the 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 relief shading chart, and then I use the the GPS. But I find it very um, reliable to get back to spots. I mean, if I do a shore dive, and you know, sometimes I'm shore diving up to two kilometres or more straight straight off the the shore, straight out to to a reef. I mean, it's very hard to landmark stuff, and I and I do have a massive appreciation for the guys. Uh, that have done that in, in previous years of you know, landmarking spots and being able to find that as a real art in that. I'm not particularly great at it, but I think you know, modern technology, I use carbon fins, I use this, that and the other. I've got a GPS with me. So if I find something great, I I um, you know, I mark it in my GPS and when I go spearfishing at my local, I've got I find places and I put them in and I, you know, make a plan about what I'm going to do. Because often you don't have a lot of time just to swim around and hope for to find a good productive spot so recently i went out last week and i had some spots that i marked previously nice holes and i can know how to approach them so i don't approach them from the wrong side and i find it a really useful tool just to um you know make your fishing a bit more efficient i guess uh it's not not for everyone a lot of people say you know you're cheating and that sort of stuff but i think again pushing towards the world championships and european championships the format is gps's are allowed in a boat so why would why wouldn't you train for that i was gonna say it's no different to having the gps on your boat and the only thing that you haven't got which a boat does have is a depth sounder so you're relying purely on gps which is good yes no depth sounder for me it's just no depth sounder so i just purely gps mark and um yeah that's how that's how i do it does anybody use a depth sounder on their float? I mean, it, it, technically it's legal, and the reason... I was just checking through the rules because of Budley, and you can use any electronic equipment on your float, right? So I've seen these little... Oh, uh, yeah, not propulsion, that makes sense. So I've seen these little things that have a like little, little arm and then like a ball on the end that does depth sounding, fish, like a fish finder. And then you put it into your phone, and it will chart all the depths. It will show you what kind of ground it is, and you can, you know, battery life is a problem, but I guess you can stick in a battery or yeah, yeah. It sounds like a pretty cool idea, but expensive. Yes, I actually saw in uh, the Euro African Championship in Denmark in 2019 when I went with uh, Ross, Kevin, and Jethro. I was a reserve diver, and I had my drone out because I was on the the boats just for the the reserves and captains just going for a jolly, and. I saw, um, I'm pretty sure it was Oscar Cervantes from Spain. He had a HDS-9 mounted to the top of his boat float, which is like, you know, 2,000 pound, two, 3,000 pound Lowrance unit on the top of his GPS with a, um, with his transducer. Because they said, they gave everyone the competition floats, which is like, you know, this Bouchard um, Puma float, you know, one of those sort of things from Scorpena. But they said, that's the float you have to use, but you can modify it in any way you want. Um, you know, you can add a GPS or that. So he had a, um, a motorbike battery in the front pouch, had a HDS, had a HDS. I'll, I'll try and I'll have to try and get it up for the show notes for you guys to, to send a photo. But he had a HDS on his float with a with a sonar that went out and everything. So he was like doing, you know, touchscreen chart plotter uh, for a shore dive competition. And he, he did really well, um, as you can imagine. Um, so that, yeah, that's taking it to the extreme. But, um, you know, I don't I probably don't recommend putting three grand worth of electronic equipment. It's probably worth more than more than your car most of the time. So, but yeah. And so all of the equipment that you've got, is there somewhere that, say, the YouTube followers or listeners can go to an Amazon shopping basket and maybe you get some kind of kicker from Amazon that can ass assist Team GB? I don't have it for the GPS, but I mean, I get a few questions about the GPS and also my float, but my float is made by a, comp a French company, Sevlaw, and I don't think they, uh, they stopped making this particular type of float maybe like 10 years ago. Um, I just happened to find one on, on Facebook Marketplace and drove 
I think it was a seven-hour round trip to Boston um, to go pick up a float uh, from this Polish guy. Um, I think he's Estonian, actually. So, um, but yeah, so the float you can't get again, but you know you can get the the Guardian and all that sort of similar sort of boat float sort of type setup. But um, no, I will I will have to do some links for the uh, the GPS. But I, it's also the, the most basic Garmin GPS, and people look at it and go, "Where's the chart?" But I guess you don't really. I don't really need the chart if I just print stuff off. But anyway. My boat GPS is one of the Garmin cheaper ones, um, and it's got no charts built into it, and you can't even add them in with a micro SD. You have to make your own. But the good thing with that is, one, once you've been somewhere once, it saves it forever, and it's obviously got a depth finder. Um, and I don't need charts for the whole of Scotland or like the whole of this, the, every other coast because I'm never going to go to them. So they are really, really good. And I, every time I go back, it. Uh, Oh, hang on a sec. We're being told to wrap it up. Right, so we've got another half an hour. Or is he, um, <laughs> or is he, he wants more food? Cool. Well, we're, uh, we're going to go and see if we can grab somebody else, but thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. Um, there was going to be the Q&A later on, which I hope you can answer some questions from everybody. But uh, thanks for coming on, and we will see you in a bit. See you in a bit. Thanks, mate. Cool, so we have half of Team GB here. We've got David O'Callaghan and David Stevens. Welcome. How was the paella? The paella was absolutely fantastic. Really, really good. Yeah, I certainly recommend anybody to eat that. David? I don't like fish. <laughs> <laughs> Part of Team GB, you don't like fish. Oh, here comes the complaints. No, no, it was really nice. Awesome. So you guys are going out to Spain? Lareno. Laredo. Laredo. And um, you guys have been spearfishing longer than I've been alive. And obviously you're my sugar daddy, so I borrow all of the uh, tips and hints and stuff from you. This is why I'm so shit at spearfishing. So yeah, thanks David. But um, tell us about Team GB and you know how you guys got here, how you got on the team. Um, we'll start with Dave Stevens. Um, how long have you been spearfishing and yeah, how long have you been on Team GB? Uh, been spearfishing now for oof, probably 37, 38 years. So I started when I was five. <laughs> really? Yep. Oh, yep. Um, internationally, I think the first competition I went out to was Dave was there actually in, was it 2000 or 2001? I think it's 2001. 2001, yep, in Barcelona. Um, so yeah. Looking forward to this uh, World Championships. Um, qualif qualifications been through our national results over the last two years. Luckily, I'm sitting in first place currently. So, um, um, yeah, that was my selection process. Dave? <laughs> <laughs> nice and close. I, nice um, and close. I suppose I've been spearfishing for... I think I was... I think I started... Around the back of of um, Dawlish Warren, which is which is like in the entrance of the river, when the tide was high, swimming around with a, with another guy with one gun and no suits, <laughs> <laughs> and swimming around, and then I would go, "There's one here." And he'd come over and he'd give me the gun, and it was a it was a spring gun, and we'd shoot it, bang, and then. Obviously, we would. I can't remember. Can't even remember what we used to do with our fish. We've never had no boys or nothing like that, and that's how it progressed. And I suppose I was about, um, I would say about twelve. Uh, I never really took to competitive spearfishing until I was probably um, eighteen, nineteen, which was, I don't know, twenty years ago. <laughs> no, it's um, quite a long time, but uh, very enjoyable. I was extremely lucky that I joined the X Club at the time, and and obviously the X Club was was comparatively small then, really. But I was very lucky to have um, Peter Crawford there. Um, he didn't actually start me off. I was started off with another guy called Colin Short, who also was, he also did competitions, but not, he wasn't so competitive as what Peter was. And then as time went on, 
I started diving with Peter and I learned an awful lot uh, and I got a lot I got a lot to thank him for um, great guy sadly missed but that's that's where I started basically awesome so September the 31st is when Dan said he was going out no, it's um, second weekend in September. Second weekend. Seven, eight, seven, yeah, seven, we're, we're going out two weeks tomorrow. Oh, okay, nice, awesome. And species-wise, dissimilar to the UK? Do you, have you been there before? It'd be, there'll be um, some of the species would be similar, but there'll be some additional species outside of what we have, like Dentex and um, some other bream and different things like that. But a lot of bass, mullet. Even Pollock are on the list, which would be interesting. Um, Brass, congas, that type of thing. So not too dissimilar to what we've got here then. Oh, awesome. And so a a couple of quick fire questions. Um, What is the one piece of kit that you absolutely need when you go out there? Dave, Dave O. For me, my most favorite gun, because (laughs) You know, although I don't use it so much these days, um, it will be my my biggest ally, especially in shallow water. Is that the one that's had three different handles, four different? <laughs> the one that's made out of a broomstick. Yeah, yeah, it's it looks like a broomstick, but it was professionally made, and it's <laughs> and it is an extremely nice gun. That's very old it's about 12 years old nice and i take it you're not doing the bands for it because the last the last few sets of bands that you've made (laughs) no awesome and dave stevens um i think probably a torch i think it's going to be very much a whole competition to a certain extent so i think we'll be using a torch quite a bit so batteries and a charger so hole hunting out there is what you think it's going to be pulling the fish out yeah awesome and trying to think of another fast quick fire question Ben your turn putting you on the spot I'm always interested in like what equipment people are using out there I guess you don't want to give away too many things but can we ask things like length of gun like type of float that kind of stuff Um, yeah I'm going to take a mixture of sizes I'll have a 55 for short um, hole fishing but I'm also going to have one with a 5 pronger on as well Um, based on the fact that I'm assuming the visibility might be a bit bit dodgy potentially um i'll also 75 and 90 just in case but i think 75 and 55 will be my main guns of choice i think and me well i love a short gun it's probably um about 70 with with a with a pronger on it but i also take a 70 and a 90 um basically you know which is what i use most of the time um home here in the in the uk um anything else i'm just trying to trying to think really yeah torch a torch i've got to take a torch whatever happens and you know i've got to make sure that the one i got is is all right because um it is going to be i think there is going to be quite a bit of hole fishing i really do think there probably could be and Dan Man we had up earlier on, um, he was saying how sort of the, the reason for the world and one of the best things about the world competitions was going to see how the other spearfishers have improved or what things they've changed or new gear they've got. Considering both of your experience in spearfishing, what, when you go out there, do you think you'll be looking at other spearfishers and trying to learn from them, if anything? I'm gonna. I suppose we got. We gotta. We gotta watch what they do. How they. How they locate their marks. How they store their marks, which can't have changed a great deal. Not really. Um, I've got a few things in my head that I that I want to do, which is going to be on my boat um, for us to use. So that. But I really gotta gotta watch where people go and and the way they attack it um it's it's a it's a it's always a difficult one but they can't spearfishing can't change too much 
equipment will will always change i think equipment guns have changed dramatically in the last 25 years um but i think the actual application of spearfishing is pretty well much standard throughout it won't it won't have changed so but we still can learn watching other people do things why they do it when they do it you know basically yeah and it's how they use their electronic equipment like gps and stuff like that they will be jumping from one spot to another and it's working out how they do it what they do um it's a different type of competition this compared to like a traditional mediterranean competition where they may have done 30 or 40 dives on one specific area or a different rock or whatever this is going to be i think um a little bit more of a what i'd class as a spear fishing competition not a free diving competition with the gps <laughs> awesome we've got a couple of people just listening around any questions for some very experienced spearos richard because your input's been fucking fantastic all day <laughs> i just want to know how much they can hear me on the hearing I just wonder how much kit you guys are taking out. Like, are you taking double torches? What are you doing? Just the backups of everything? Without a doubt, you know, um, I've always got a box of tricks. <laughs> I've got to have them because, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, you know, what's going to break. You know, um, you know, lots of spare Dyneema, lots of spare rubber, you know. We've got you've got to have it, you know, and and spears, you know, because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, I can remember going on one trip and first dive, you know, I got my spear back and it was W'd, <laughs> it was ruined. So you can't you can't afford not to take too much. You've got to take it. You've got to take too much gear. It's better to take too much and and uh, be over, be overweight in your whatever you've got, whatever you're taking it in, but but if you ain't got it you're going to go and buy it and chances are you probably might not be able to buy it you just don't know do you yeah I'll at least take two of everything whether it be 255, 275, 290s spare spears because on the day of the competition you don't know what's going to happen you could easily get a spear stuck gun stuck the mechanism could could um, stick or whatever so you just need to prepare for all eventualities I think and on that, I've got a question for both of you. Are you real and float, or are you no real? Are you float attached to gun? Are you gun free? Well, I don't. I'm not a great advocator of reels personally myself, so I'll be I'll be um, gun attached to the float uh, with plenty of line on it. You know, so if I get stuck, you know, I'm not going to lose it. You know, but that, that's always my my worry is is losing something. Um, I don't know about Dave, don't know, do you use... Um, complete opposite. Um, <laughs> so I'll have the float attached to myself with a drop weight on to be able to drop it and fish holes or whatever I find. Um, I fish with a reel all the time, pretty much. Um, so yeah, it's, ama it's amazing, isn't it, how different people fish. But it all depends, you know, what you're used to, how you fish and the way that you are. Sure. Right, we've got one question. Bear with me. Hello, sir. What is your name? Uh, Rob Carlson. Rob? Uh, yeah, guys, obviously with the weather's been uh, pretty pants uh, the last few months, um, heading up to World Championships, what training have you been doing outside of spearfishing? Because with zero vis, we haven't really been in much, have we? Um, and do you think actually experience of fishing in, in slightly dirtier water to perhaps a lot of the European guys are used to, the clear med, uh, as you say, with, with scouted out holes, with, with sort of... Uh, fish fixed there do you think that we've got a better chance of, of doing well in the competition uh, perhaps against um, previous results um, yes and yes um, <laughs> training wise I've been doing lengths of the bath me and my rubber duck <laughs> in the last few weeks um, no um, I play underwater hockey which is a really good basis I think for fitness I've also been doing running rowing and that type of thing to try and keep the sort of cardio aspect up um, as far as the conditions yes it's more suited to us than potentially the Mediterranean divers what they're used to I suppose the difference is they'll have the funding and the ability to be out there for weeks on end scouting so they have still got that advantage but um, we're hoping that the conditions will be a bit more of a leveller give us more of a chance but what will be will be 
Yeah, I, I think the um, the dirty water system is going to be good for us. Um, it ain't going to be good for the Mediterranean boys because they ain't going to like it. That's that is definitely for sure. Um, and as far as keeping myself fit, well, I'm in the gym every Tuesday morning um, for, for my knees, and and I'm on the bike. I'm 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 on the I'm on the bike regular, you know, at the gym, which keeps the keeps the old upper upper body going right the lungs and uh, i don't i don't take prisoners when it comes to that you know i really i do really push it I do really push it um yeah that's, a, that's about all i'm doing at the moment and a little bit of walking walking the dog <laughs> and that's about it you know and getting rattled around while you're out on my boat eh? i drive really sensibly i don't know what you're on about anything else is that perfect good answer Cool. Rich, any questions from you? Perfect. Well, thank you very much, guys. We wish you all the best in uh, September, in a few weeks, when you go out there and uh, bring back gold, please. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. <laughs> See you in a bit. And that concludes the raffle. Thank you very much. All proceeds go towards... All proceeds go towards getting these guys to the nationals in Spain. So thank you so much for your support. And thank you, Dan, for coming down. Thank you. My pleasure for driving, yeah. It was great. Thank you, Spiro Hangout, for coming down and uh, interviewing people. Any other thanks? Everybody for coming. Yeah, thank you. You've come a long, long way, so it does really mean a lot. So So it's not over yet. You lot get to question these lot. Any questions you've got for them, we're going to sit them down on the sofa, as well as the Team GB guys and us, and you can ask us any questions you want. It's all going to be live recorded. So please, as much swearing as possible, as we all know what I'm like. But uh, yeah, come and sit down. You're not getting away until we've asked your questions. So... Dave Stevens. Yeah, and Dave Stevens. So who's got a question for someone? Don't you all go quiet now. Come on, come on. Think of a question, Richard. Think of a question. Do you think you're going to do well at the World Championship? Do you think you're going to do well at the World Championship, Dave and Dave? And I don't think so. I know so. Um, We're going to do our absolute best. We may not be winners, but we will try to please everybody by coming back with the best result we can give you. We're going out to win, or why would we not be going otherwise? Great. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Who's got a question? Go on. Uh, biggest challenges you're going to face on the, uh, in the competition? Biggest challenges you're going to face during yeah. the competition? <laughs> fish don't speak English. <laughs> um, I think some of the biggest challenges uh, that will be faced there is um, the, the zones are massive. Uh, so there's a lot of areas to scout and also that there is um, men and women fishing in the same zone. So having potentially 100 boats in the same zone is going to be very challenging after about the first 30 seconds. Everything's going to disappear. That's kind of what I uh, anticipate uh, for the people diving. Um, I think going with a lack of knowledge of what we're going to be dealing with when we get there. So we're going to have to think on our feet. I think that's the, the key point, I think, for us. I think, personally, we all get on, because that's a bit of a, that is a bit of a challenge getting on. Everybody, everybody, it's, it's a key fact that that we must all get on and help each other, not be individuals, because it's a team event, not an individual event. Although we will obviously be counted as individuals as well, but. If we want to, if we want to go forward and we want to do well, then we got to work as a team. It's beautiful. There's no I in team. <laughs> Brilliant. Any other questions? <laughs> Come on. Good question. I don't know either. Where is it? Uh, <laughs> We're going to the Atlantic side of Spain uh, in the Bay of Biscay 
to a place called Laredo, which is quite close to Bilbao. If anyone's been to San Sebastian on, on holiday, just sort of west of the Pyrenees, um, a, a, a east, an east-west facing coastline that can get a lot of swell, but also has um, a lot of familiar fish that we have. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to find them, but we'll do our best to find them, but they should have all the usual species. It probably suits um, our type of diving a little bit more than Mediterranean-based um, competitions, so it's um, in Spain. So these guys are getting on a very long 36-hour ferry uh, from Portsmouth or Plymouth? Out from Portsmouth, back from Plymouth. Yeah, all the way down there. So um, they will do lots of bonding on their 36-hour journey. <laughs> bonding or bondage? <laughs> or both? You can bond while doing bondage. Questions? Suits. <laughs> One from over here. Questions from over here. How You've got questions. How long do you questions. have to um, recce and stuff? How long do you have to recce? Any You can go out there for as much as you want. So this year, you could have um, gone out there and scouted any time. Uh, two of the other team members, uh, Kevin and Ross, have already been out there and done a scouting trip. But um, I think most of the top sort of teams that you'd expect to do really well probably out there for 20, 30 days prior to the competition. Um, and it comes down to do two competition days, so 10 hours of, of diving uh, in boats. Uh, you can use GPS, all that sort of stuff. But... Um, the thing is about when everyone's really good, everyone's really good at finding all the really good spots, so everyone's going to the really good spots. <laughs> and um, there's only so much shallow coastline, I guess. don't know what your thoughts are, Dave. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we're going to have to watch what s some of the top teams are doing. Excuse me a second. <laughs> Told you to turn your phone on. Yeah, we've got we to gotta watch what some of these top teams are doing, You know, where they're fishing, what depth they're fishing in. Um, they're going to have a bit more knowledge than, than us because they're going to be there a little bit longer. You know, we've we've really got a 10-day window and that's it, that's it to find where the fish are. Um, so there'll be a lot of skullduggery, I think. <laughs> you know, watching where everybody's going, what sort of depth they're fishing in. Air tags. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cross on the back of the boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's no other questions, thank you all very much for coming. Um, it's been a wonderful afternoon. Nice to meet most of you and some of you. Um, and yeah, if you haven't got any other questions, we'll finish it off. <laughs> well, we'll uh, see you all out on the water. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.